The scripture text for the sermon this evening is in Matthew chapter 1, the announcement of the angel to Joseph of the incarnation that is, has occurred in the womb of his betrothed. The angel, when he makes that announcement, refers Joseph to an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, and so we're actually going to begin reading there tonight, Isaiah 7. Verses 1 through 16, and then we'll turn to Matthew chapter 1. Isaiah 7, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. Ephraim is another term used to describe Israel. So Syria is confederate with Israel. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and of the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil, accounts the, equal, evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set us a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, and within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, The land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Read God's word to that point there in Isaiah 7. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin reading at verse 18 and read to the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. 
and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Our text tonight is verses 22 and 23 of Matthew chapter 1. These are still the words of the angel that he is speaking to Joseph. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Beloved of God, you can't help but feel a little bit sorry for Joseph here in Matthew chapter 1. The poor man has been confused for quite some time about what is happening with his betrothed wife. And understandably so, strange things have occurred in his mind. Joseph and Mary are both from a small town in Galilee called Nazareth. They've both been raised in very godly homes, which is saying something for Israel at this day. Israel was very apostate. And to have a a synagogue in Nazareth in which the word of God still reigns and homes in that synagogue in that town that are teaching their children the word of God and the expectation of the coming Messiah, not as a mighty warrior who's going to defeat the Roman Empire, but as the Lamb of God who's come to take away our sins, is an exceptional thing in the life of Israel. Mary is a very pious young woman, somewhere between 13 and 15 years of age, a marriageable age for this time. Joseph was himself a godly young man. Verse 19 calls him a just man. Godly as he was, he saw in this young woman Mary a godliness that he wanted to have in a wife. Through parental involvement, undoubtedly, as that was invariably the way things were done here at this time, Joseph had become betrothed to Mary. Remember that betrothal is much more serious even than our engagement today. To become betrothed is actually to become legally wed to this person. Though you couldn't consummate the marriage yet, that had to wait for the actual wedding day. To be betrothed was to enter into a state of legal union with this other person. This is why verse 19 calls Joseph her husband, though they are not fully married yet. And it's why when Joseph is considering breaking off this betrothal for what he thinks is adultery in Mary, the text says that he was minded to put her away privately. To put her away is to go through a legal process of breaking this legal union that has been formed between himself and Mary. So it's very serious. From a legal point of view, their husband and wife. As any young couple waiting for their actual wedding day, truly one in the Lord, anticipating this union that's about to come, Joseph and Mary are excited They want to be married to each other. They're looking forward to being married to each other. There is the anticipation of the intimacy of marriage itself that they're looking forward to. There's the possibility of having children, should God give that to them, that they're thinking about and they're talking about and they're planning all of these things. You think planning our weddings takes a lot of work. Their weddings lasted an entire week. This is what they're thinking about. This is what they're talking about. This is their life filled with anticipation of that wedding day. And then the angel comes to Mary and interrupts their life, changes the course of their life for the rest of their life. 
Hail thou that art highly favored among women. Blessed art thou. For the Messiah himself is going to be born of you. The long-awaited one, the desire of all nations, is going to come out of your womb. And Mary, utterly astounded at this, but unable to comprehend how exactly this is going to take place, asked the angel who appeared to her, but how will this be? Seeing I know not a man, it's not that she's not believing what he's saying, but she doesn't understand how this is possible. Her and Joseph have been faithful to God. They have not given in to temptation during their betrothal state. They're waiting for their wedding day as the law of God required of them. And so how is it possible, seeing I know not a man, that I'm going to have this child in my womb? And the angel responds, the Holy Ghost is going to accomplish this in you, Mary. The power of the highest is going to come and overshadow you and place this within you. And Mary, surely still not comprehending every detail of how this is going to work, yet with humble and submissive faith, says, behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it to me according to thy will, an example to you and to me. That how you respond, even when God's way is confusing, you don't understand what he's doing, I am your servant, Lord. And if this is thy will, then so be it. The angel informs Mary that her cousin Elizabeth, who lives way down in Judah, Jerusalem, though she has been barren, is now How many months along with the forerunner to the child that's going to be planted in Mary's own womb? Subtly hinting to Mary that if you want to understand something more about this and talk to somebody about this, that's where you go. Go to Elizabeth, to whom I've already appeared and who's experiencing some of these marvelous things that are coming to pass. And that's what Mary does. She leaves and makes this three, four-day journey down south to Jerusalem all by herself, 13, 14, 15-year-old girl, to go talk to Elizabeth. Of course she does. Who else is she going to talk about these things with? Is it going to be Joseph, in fact? Did she even tell Joseph before she left? About the appearance of the angel to her? And about what had happened and where she was going all by herself away. There's really nothing in the gospel accounts that would lead us to believe that she did. In Luke 1, verse 39, the impression was left that very shortly after the angel appeared to her and made the announcement to her, she went down to see Elizabeth. And it even uses the words, with haste. She went with haste. And you can understand that too. How is she going to talk to Joseph about this? Is he really going to believe her? And as she thinks about how is she going to talk about this with him, who else can she get advice from about all of this and who to talk to about it and how to explain it to them but from Elizabeth, the only one who knows any of these things that are going on. And so she goes. Maybe she told Joseph she's leaving. Didn't tell him where or why. But she comes back. And Joseph is still in the dark. Mary's gone for three months. You remember? She knocks on Elizabeth's door. And Elizabeth greets her. And immediately, she knows that sometime in the last few days... What the angel had told her was going to happen has now happened without her being aware of it. The power of the highest has overshadowed her and planted this babe in her womb. As Elizabeth says, the boy in my womb leapt for joy when you came upon my doorstep. You're the mother of my Lord. Three months she stays there. And then makes her way back to Nazareth. 
And now she has to talk to Joseph about it. All the questions that Joseph has, of course. And then Matthew 1, verse 18. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Was found with child. After three months, she has a little bump in her belly. Can you imagine how these conversations go now with Joseph? Why did you leave? And why did you leave so abruptly? And why won't you tell me what's going on? Where have you been three months? You're gone all by yourself. You go down. What, what is that, a bump on your belly? Yes, Joseph, yes, uh, I'm pregnant. But, but, but wait a minute, Joseph, wait a minute. Don't, it's not what you think. I wasn't with any man. No man is involved in this. How could I explain this to you, Joseph? That's why I left. An angel appeared to me. And he told me that I was going to be the mother of the Messiah. And this baby that is in me, that you see this little bump now coming out from. It's not from any man, but the Holy Ghost himself has placed this child within me. Can you imagine the thoughts that are going through Joseph's mind. You leave for three months, unexpectedly, all by yourself. You come home pregnant, and this is your explanation? You're going to tell me that an angel appeared to you and that the child in your womb was not conceived by any man, the way 100% of children have been conceived for the past 6,000 years, but that in you, this child is from the Holy Spirit. Oh, what do you want me to make of this, Mary? And of course, he loves her, and he's only known her to be a godly and pious young woman, but what, what does he do with this? And these things are going through his mind, and the, the torture of this, what is happening here? Has she been taken advantage of by somebody and now she's trying to cover for this person because she doesn't want to deal with the shame of it, but she doesn't seem to be distressed about any of this? Did she go away to see some man that I don't know of? She spent three months with him and now she comes back pregnant and this is her cover for her her sin and her treachery against me. He's torn up inside about this. And all of these emotions are swirling within him. There's anger sometimes. There's utter confusion. There's disappointment. There's love for her. Sometimes we're tempted to think that all of this is just so squeaky clean. We have our nice Christmas cards People set up their manger scenes and it's all so romantic. There's domestic problems here. Don't think that the will of God for the lives of his people, though it's good, always good, that it's ever going to be easy. If the center of his will, the very heart of his counsel, the coming of his own son into the world, creates difficulties and troubles for them as they walk their pilgrim pathway through this world up to glory. Don't think that when he unfolds his counsel upon us as we walk our pilgrim pathway, that there's going to be no difficulty to it. This is not the heaven part. This is the way to heaven. And he's molding us and shaping us for heaven, including Joseph and Mary here, even in this, the sending of his son into the world. Should we expect that it's all going to be smooth sailing in our lives? His will is always good. But it's not always easy. Joseph settles on the fact that he can't get past. 
and she's gone for three months and comes back pregnant. I don't see how I can conclude anything else than that she has betrayed me. And he decides that he's going to have to put her away. He's going to have to break off this betrothal legally. And on good grounds, biblical grounds, the grounds of adultery, but godly and kindly man that he is, he determines to do it privately, not publicly. With all of these emotions within him, he still expresses this love for Mary. He knows that she is going to be the talk of this town and the talk of two, three towns over when this pregnancy comes out to everybody. And he doesn't want to make it worse for her. He doesn't want her to be further scorned. And so he decides, we're going to do this privately. There was a provision in the law that allowed for this, that if you had the right kind of witnesses, you could do this in a private setting and break this off. And that's what he would do. Mary herself is certainly distraught at all of this. She knows what the truth is, and she knows she's told the truth. But what, she, what can she do at this point? If you've ever been in a situation where you've told the truth about something that's very hard for people to believe, and you know it's going to be hard for people to believe, and people don't believe you, and even people who are close to you, you know what Mary is feeling. There's a sense of hopelessness and being hemmed in. What do I do with this now? And certainly... She wants to be married to Joseph. That's all she's been wanting since they've been betrothed in earlier. And surely she's praying to the Lord, Lord, make him believe me. How can I make him believe me? Will you make him believe me? And then the same angel that appeared to her appears to Joseph in the night when he is sleeping. Joseph. It's true. Everything she told you is true. Don't put her away. Don't break this off. 4, verse 20, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. It is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, Joseph, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You're going to call him Jesus. You're going to marry her, and you're going to become the head of your house, and you're going to give him this name eight days after he's born when you take him for circumcision. Stay with her, Joseph. There's been no other man. There need be no suspicion. It is the case that though the rule that has bound humanity since the dawn of time for conception of children has been broken by God in this one instance in the womb of your betrothed, this child is the Savior, Jesus. Can you imagine this? What this was like for Joseph going through all this turmoil and now coming to see the truth of this and to realize what's happening for the first time that the Holy Spirit himself really did come upon her in a unique way, not a lewd way, but went inside the womb of Mary and weaved a bond there between the second person of the Trinity and the humanity that was contained in the egg of Mary's womb so that this child that is within her is the God-man. As to his person, the second person of the Trinity, fully divine, God himself, and yet fully human, and with a humanity that does not in any way limit his divinity. Philippians 2 verse 6, who being in the form of God, who being in the form of God, remaining in the form of God, the essence of God, yet at the same time took upon himself also, added to himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. As fully God, so fully man. A divine nature and a human nature and a full human nature, a human body with a human soul, human blood pumping through human veins. 
growing from a few tiny cells inside Mary to the size of a peanut and to the size of an orange and bigger and bigger with lungs developing and eyes developing so that he comes forth and, and can see and can speak with a real human mind and soul perfectly pure. The angel had said to Mary, Because this is the work of the Holy Spirit, he shall be a holy thing. No impurity shall touch him. If he's going to be Jesus, Joseph, who shall save his people from their sins, he must be the sinless one. This is what's happening, Joseph. Jesus has come. Jehovah saves. You shall call him Jesus. He is Jehovah in the form necessary for him to be in to save us. This is why all the strange things. This is the explanation for Mary's odd behavior and the bump of her belly. But the angel doesn't stop there. He continues... In speaking to Joseph, telling him that all these things that are happening are the fulfillment of a prophecy that was given by the prophet Isaiah 750 years before. In verse 23, the angel refers Joseph back to Isaiah 7 verse 14. And the sign that God gave to King Ahaz of Judah through the prophet Isaiah, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz was a terribly wicked king of Judah. But he was the king of Judah. Judah is the church of this day. Remember, children, your Old Testament history? That after... Rehoboam, the kingdom split into two. So you had the ten tribes in the north called Israel and the two tribes in the south called Judah. Well, by the time of Isaiah 7, Israel is utterly apostate, completely gone spiritually. And Judah is just starting to follow along. But Judah is still the church of this day. And Ahaz, on the throne of Judah, is of the royal line of David. Christ himself will come from Ahaz one day. However, in Isaiah chapter 7, King Ahaz of Judah is terribly scared that the nation of Judah and that he himself as Judah's king and his line, his family, is going to be utterly destroyed. The king of the northern kingdom of the ten tribes, Pekah in the passage he's called Remaliah's son, Pekah Remaliah's son. He has become confederate with reason, the king of Syria. Syria is just up above Israel. Syria, Israel, Judah. Reason came down to Pekah, king of Israel one day, and said, look, I've amassed this, this massive army, and if you join your army to mine, we could go down together and we could attack Judah and King Ahaz down there. We could conquer the whole thing. We could cut off Ahaz and his line utterly. We could set up our own king, a puppet king in Judah, who would be loyal to us. And you and I together, we could rule this whole region. What do you say? And Pekah says, absolutely, let's go. And so together they march down upon Jerusalem. And Ahaz is holding his own. He's, he's holding them back, but it doesn't look good. And it looks like he's going to be taken over and he's going to be slaughtered and his family's going to be slaughtered and Judah too. And into that situation, God sends Isaiah to the palace to talk to King Ahaz to tell him, don't be afraid. The Lord is not going to allow them to overcome Judah. He's not going to allow them to cut you off. God will preserve his church here. And then Isaiah even welcomes Ahaz to ask the Lord for a sign. Verse 11. 
Ask the sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Ask for any kind of sign from the heavens to the earth below. Ask for any sign and it will confirm that I've told you the word of the Lord. Ahaz, in a false show of piety, refuses the opportunity. I will not ask for a sign and tempt the Lord God, he says. Of course, that sounds very pious. But Ahaz is a very, very wicked man. He doesn't want to get all caught up with with Jehovah. We'll have to remove the idols out of Judah if he has to do that. So he feigns piety. No, no, I'm not going to, no thank, I'm not going to tempt the Lord Jehovah God. And Isaiah says, well, too bad. God's going to give you a sign anyway. And here's what it is. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and they'll call his name Emmanuel. That was 750 years before Matthew chapter 1. And so the question is, how does this thing that's going to happen 750 years later become a sign to Ahaz way back here that reason and Pekah and their armies are not going to destroy Judah and are not going to cut off him and his line from the throne. You can see the answer. And you understand that Judah is not like any other nation. And that Ahaz is not like any other king. Ahaz is in the royal line of David. The Davidic line runs through the throne of Judah. The Christ is going to come someday from the line of David in Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. Christ is in Judah and Christ is in Ahaz's loins. Something that the devil himself knows and understands and that's why all throughout the Old Testament he's trying to cut off the line of David and that's what he's trying to do in this confederacy of reason and Pekah and their attack on Judah and on the throne of David. But it won't happen. As Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz, as it were, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he's able to peer into the future, 750 years into the future, and he says, Ahaz, I can see a woman and she's pregnant, but she's a virgin. And I see all kinds of people around her and and they're calling the child in her womb the Emmanuel. And this is the proof to you, Ahaz, that Israel and Syria will not take you over, will not cut you off, because this cannot be the future. If they do... Your line is the line of David. This child must come out of your loins. This is how it's assigned to you. She will not be cut off. And Judah will not be destroyed. Now it's 750 years later and the angel comes and appears to Joseph And he says to Joseph, what Isaiah saw happening there in vision of the future so many centuries before has now come to pass. Joseph, your betrothed is the virgin that Isaiah saw in his mind's eye. And her son is the Emmanuel that he was talking about 750 years ago. All these things that have happened and the strange behavior of your betrothed is for the fulfillment of what God had spoken so long ago. All this has happened that it might be fulfilled which was spoken. When the angel says that, beloved, of course... The first reference there is to the circumstances that are going on in Joseph's life that are causing so much confusion for him. All these things have happened. But when you take a step back, 
Because the angel is referring to this prophecy, he's also saying all things that have happened from that day forward in history have happened that this might come to pass. Everything, the fact that Pekah and Reason did not destroy Judah or cut off the line of Ahaz, Joseph. The fact that when Nebuchadnezzar came and took Judah captive and brought them back to Babylon, that it didn't cut off the royal line, but God preserved the royal line through that. The fact that after 70 years, God raised up Cyrus and brought them back to the promised land so that the prophecy could be fulfilled that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and nowhere else. All the things that have had to happen from that day since, and with your great-grandparents, Joseph, and your grandparents, and your parents, and with Mary's, and so that you could be in the same town together, being raised in this godly synagogue, in these homes, believing the word of the Lord. All these things were done. That this, that's causing you so much confusion, might come to pass. For Joseph, the prophecy that Isaiah spoke to Ahaz about the future was God's own word. God's word is never a victim of history, but is always the determining factor of history. Notice how the angel chooses his words so carefully. In verse 22. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, not spoken merely by the prophet, not just the prophet's idea, and not some hallucination that he was undergoing, but the very word of God that he placed in Isaiah's mouth was spoken. Kings think they drive history by their decrees and acts. And presidents and congresses think the same. Men think they determine history by their choices. But Joseph, it is the word of Jehovah God that determines history. That word of God is sure and steadfast. It cannot fall to the ground. It has been working and working and bending all things so that the arc of history was all coming together to this moment, to what has happened to your betrothed. You stand, Joseph, in the very fullness of time. And that child is the prophesied Emmanuel. Don't you see then, Joseph, why it had to be this way? If he's going to be Emmanuel, he can't be the product of two human beings coming together. Your betrothed story has to be true, Joseph. Theologically, he must be conceived by the Holy Ghost if he is going to be God himself. And he must be conceived by the Holy Ghost in the womb of your betrothed if he's going to be God with us. God and man together. So get up, Joseph. Marry that woman and call his name Jesus. But how does calling his name Jesus fulfill a prophecy that said they shall call his name Emmanuel? Well, I'm sure that they called him Emmanuel. Too, though it wasn't his personal name. I'm sure they understood. And yet the very calling, the very naming of him, Jesus, 
officially by Joseph and by Mary is itself also a fulfillment of this prophecy. Because to call him Jesus is to call him Emmanuel. It takes being Emmanuel in order to be Jesus. Jehovah cannot save us unless he is God with us. He must come to bear our sins. And he must come to represent us bearing our sins. He must be God able to bear that punishment upon himself. And he must be us able to represent us. He must be God with us in order to be Jehovah saves us. And therefore the angel says, give him this proper name. That too will be fulfillment of this prophecy. That you're calling him in that Emmanuel. What a wonder. What astounding things you celebrate this time of year, people of God. Don't ever let it become so familiar, so rote to you, that it loses its wonder, that it doesn't amaze you. Can you feel something, just something of the amazement that must have been in Joseph as he's coming out of the confusion, as he's understanding these things, as he's seeing prophecies are being fulfilled and in the womb of his own betrothed and how I doubted her and I was about ready to put her away and I was angry with her and the marvelous has happened. God has come to us. Let it stir your soul into amazement this season. And this too, that he still is God with us. With us. God for us is a wonderful reality, beloved, that the sovereign God, the mighty one, majestic in heaven would be for us. But how much more rich and more wonderful that the same God who is out there so transcendent, high above us in all of his majesty and who is for us is also the God who is with us. Come to be so with us that he united himself with our flesh and blood so that he's bone of our bones and flesh of his flesh. That the very life and bond of fellowship that God himself experiences within himself that he overflows with outside of himself. I will bring creatures into this to taste something of this. It is too marvelous. And this is the way, this is the best way, this is the highest way. I will unite myself to their flesh so that I united to them and they united to me in my son. We will be together bound to one another in a marvelous, marvelous union. This is salvation. This is God's covenant. This is our hope. This is what God determined to do from all eternity. This is the wonder that Isaiah saw centuries before it was performed. God with us. What kind of God is this? So high and lifted up comes to us. These puny little creatures of dust who have thought themselves God and who have rebelled against Him and yet in the midst of that rebellion He comes down and unites Himself to us. Doesn't wait for us to come to Him for we can't but comes to us and seeks us and finds us. Joseph believed the word of the angel. And he believed that the word of prophecy was now being fulfilled right before his eyes. But it's striking, beloved, don't you think? That the angel thinks that he needs to refer to this Old Testament prophecy as he is speaking with Joseph. Don't you think it would be enough for an angel just to appear to Joseph and to say what he says in verses 20 and 21, Joseph, thou son of David, 
Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Wouldn't that be enough if he stopped right there? He's an angel after all, coming to appear to Joseph. Wouldn't just receiving that message be enough? Why does he have to give him a sermon from the Old Testament? Because the word of God is the power unto faith. Not even the voice of an angel in itself. What did Paul say? Though an angel comes and preaches to you another gospel that is not the gospel of this book, let him be anathema. What did the apostle Peter say in 2 Peter 1 verse 18? when he is telling the people that this same Messiah is really God come amongst us. And he recounts his own experience when he was with him and says, I was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw his glory pierce through his humanity. I saw that he is God in the flesh with my own two eyes. I'm not weaving together cunningly devised fables when I tell you this. I saw it. He is the divine come amongst us. And yet, there is a more sure word of prophecy. The scriptures are more sure than my testimony of what I tell you I saw with my own two eyes. The word of God must stand. The word of God will convince the people of God. The word of God was fulfilled in him. That was the ultimate proof for Peter and for the people to whom Peter would write and the angel knows. This will be the ultimate proof for Joseph. And it was. Look what happens next. He goes forward in faith, trusting The word of the Lord in the mouth of the angel. He takes Mary to be his wife. And in an astounding act of self-discipline, he holds himself back from consummating the marriage after the wedding day even. Until the baby is born. Lest there be any confusion about the origin of this child in his wife's womb. You believe that word? Or is it just a story to you? You heard it so much. Children, this is not a story like you read about in your books at home. This happened 2,000 years ago in a town that you can still go and visit today, God himself came. He entered into the womb of that woman, uniting himself to our flesh. Stake your life upon it, and your future upon it, and your eternity upon it. God has come to be with us. The word that Isaiah saw concerning the future is now to us 2,000 years in the past. And yet just as that reality turned the life of Joseph and Mary upside down, still it turns our lives upside down. It consumes our lives. We are for this child. We are unto this child. We give our whole life for this child and run our life around this child's will. We have all our hope lodged in this child. For he's with you. Believer, he's with you. He came amongst us and he went away. But he's still your Emmanuel. In the sending of the Holy Spirit, he said, I will come back to you in my spirit. It will be me. 
And that spirit indwells his children and puts that seed of new life within them. And what is that new life but the very life of Christ? So that Christ is with you. He is Emmanuel still to you in such a way so that his very life is within you and is transforming you from within. And the spirit indwells you and does not leave you or forsake you even in your sins and rebellions, child of God. You worship him. You bow to him. And you sing to him. For he is not a God who is far off, but he is a God who is nigh and who never leaves his children, takes them through all this pilgrim pathway on the way to glory, drawing them ever more closely to himself. And that's why not just Joseph and not just Mary must say that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call him Emmanuel. They, all God's people, children, you're going to give a Christmas concert and you're going to sing this word and you're going to call him Emmanuel. And I want you to know that when you do, you are going to be fulfilling prophecy. God in you. And you. In the singing and the praising of this season, your confession of faith, your worship of Him, it's God with us. Praise be to Him. Amen. Father, bless thy word to our hearing and give us faith, strength from that word. And make this, O God, the season in which true praise comes forth. For the glory of thy name, amen.